BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, it's Erica Cruz-Guevara, producer for The Bay. This week we're going to do something different. We've been spending some time in Vallejo. It's a city of about 122,000 people, about 30 miles north of Oakland. And it's a place that I spent a lot of time in growing up. I was born in Vallejo, and my family lived there for a bit when I was a kid. Then we moved, but I hung around there a lot, visiting cousins and aunties and uncles until they moved too. And so it felt really close to home to hear headlines like this. New video tonight of an officer involved shooting in Vallejo. It is disturbing. You hear the moment when six officers opened fire at a Taco Bell drive through killing a local rapper. Today, when you see Vallejo in the news, it's almost like the stories are about one of two things. How Vallejo has quickly become one of the last affordable cities in the Bay Area, or a story about the police. In many ways, these stories follow a pattern seen in cities across the country. A police shooting occurs, a video surfaces, and people protest. But what makes Vallejo unique is these deadly police shootings are happening in a city that's overshadowed by bigger Bay Area cities, like San Francisco and Oakland. And so Vallejo gets ignored. There aren't as many eyes paying attention to what's happening here, including what the police department is doing. The town's newspaper is down to just a few journalists. So this week, we're going to share three stories about police shootings in Vallejo. And today, we start with the most recent one, the February 2019 shooting of Willie McCoy. I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara. Welcome to the day. A trigger warning before we get started. This episode discusses and features the sounds of police violence. I get to a house in East Oakland to meet David Harrison. He'd just gotten off of work when I arrived. Hi, David. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. David's a big guy, the kind who drives big rigs. That's what he does for work. He has a broom in his hand when he opens the door. He says he was trying to do some last-minute cleaning. Yeah, I was just trying to straighten up a little bit before. Oh, no. We've all been there. Well, we can sit here. Okay. We can sit here, whatever. I sit on a couch facing the front room of the house. There's a sweater on the wall with Willie McCoy's face on it. Across the way is bedroom door, Willie McCoy's old bedroom. Willie lived here. The day before he Willie got killed, he was sleeping in this room right here. David, who I came to meet, is Willie's big cousin. When I first met David outside Vallejo City Hall in June, he told me he used to change Willie's diapers as a kid. You know, that big cousin. 
As I'm setting up my microphone, David tells me he takes Willie with him on those long drives he does for work. Yeah, I take little Willie with me every morning. Really? Like I got his little urn, I put it in my truck, and we ride by, and it's just, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because we ride by the Taco Bell. The Taco Bell, the one on Admiral Callahan Lane. It's closed now, but it's where Willie McCoy, who was just 20 years old, was shot 55 times by Vallejo police. David tells me he never stops at that spot. He just drives right by. Willie's death marked one of three recent police shootings that have reignited protest at Vallejo City Hall. Please stop. Locked out of their voices, silence to pack Vallejo City Council meeting ended abruptly tonight during public comment. Family members of people shot and killed by Vallejo police were attending that meeting and they were demanding justice, asking city lawmakers to bring in the state attorney general to investigate the police department's use of force policy. Since 2005, there have been 21 fatal shootings by Vallejo police. That's almost one per year in a city of about 122,000 people. Of course, it didn't happen that way. From 2006 to 2008, there were none. But there were some bad years, like 2012. That's when Vallejo police killed six people in one year, the deadliest year of police shootings since 2005. Some say this time it feels different. It feels like more people are starting to pay attention. And that's in part because of families like David's, who have made their voices louder by showing up at City Hall with other families of people shot by police. Families who have coalesced with the backing of Oakland activists like Kat Brooks, civil rights attorneys like John Burris, and families of others killed by police in other cities. Oscar Grant's family from Oakland and Stefan Clark's in Sacramento. It's a resistance that's shaking things up in this old military town. A resistance that's starting to get buy-in not just from the families directly affected, but from Vallejoans, who are now starting to notice that outsiders are paying attention to their police department. Sir, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to address the city council about some of the new things that we found out, me and my family, about uh, what happened to uh, my little cousin, to, to little Willie. Willie's death has turned David into an activist. Uh, what happened to him wasn't uh, anybody who's seen that video and seen what went on, including this council, and knows that 55 shots, that's an enormous amount of shots for someone sleeping in a vehicle. And uh, it seems like that there's a big problem in Vallejo. Before Willie became the face and the name behind the latest protest chants against police violence, he was a rising young rapper who lost his parents at a very young age. Willie was about 11 years old when his dad died of cancer, David says. And Willie moved in with his mom in Vallejo. Then, just two months later, she died of breast cancer. Willie was raised by the village, by all the family in the whole, you know. And um, he had a good culture to him. You know, he, was, he had a warm heart, but he had a stern Spirit of, his convictions were very strong. William Harrison is Willie's great uncle, and he saw what Willie's trauma did to him after his parents' death. He stayed with his sister and in a group home, but he got in and out of a little bit of trouble. 
He'd get into trouble with friends at school, get into fights. Well, I think a lot of this was as a result that he felt he was that everybody, yeah, he was rebellious because he felt that everybody had left him at an early age. He felt abandoned. And that was his only way of striking out. Adolescents do that until you make certain changes and you make that, that, that transition. And so now Willie had started to transitionalize and grown into an adult and becoming a man. Mm-hmm. And, and he was doing it gracefully. Willie survived his trauma by making art. His family says he was going to Laney College in Oakland and was studying music. David and I are hunched over his iPhone. We're watching a music video he directed with Willie and his rap groups Forever Black Gods and Sauce Team. David explains it to me. The main character is this guy who's just trying to survive. And then one day, he's shot and killed. A case of mistaken identity. And the song was was about everything that happened to Willie. It was about the crisis with the homelessness, systemic racism, police brutality, and also the black-on-black effect of, of having black on black crime. It came out really nice, but the scary part about it was that it was art imitating life. Art imitating life. In the video, someone delivers the bad news to the man's mom. Only thing different in how my life go in Willie's story was that couldn't nobody go home to Willie's mom and deliver the bad news because they were already gone. It's mom and his dad. Willie was a leader, you know. That's Damarie Cole, a.k.a. Boo Boo Maine. He's Willie's nephew, and their two rap groups, Sauce Team and Forever Black Gods, would make music together. Willie was always writing when there was no beat, you know what I'm saying? He'd be writing in his car, and he'd have a full song already written out with no beat. I met Boo Boo on a day the rap group was supposed to have a rehearsal for an upcoming show, but no one else came. Like, I think about it every day, you know, driving to work, listening to the music sometimes. It's like I cry myself. I might not tell my family, but it hurts us all. You know what I'm saying? Because like he said, when Willie was there, we all was, was one. It was We all move as one. We not moving. He going on this detour. He going, no, we going to all get to the same destination and we all moving together as one as a family. So when you lose a leader with somebody that's giving us that, 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 that extra motivation, you know it's hard to continue. I'm on one emergency. The night everything changed for Willie's friends and family started with this phone call. Hi, um, I work at the... Taco Bell on Admiral Callahan. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I have a uh, person uh, unresponsive to car horn honks uh, in my drive-thru. Okay, what kind of car is it? It's a Mercedes-Benz. 
Vallejo police received this call at approximately 10.36 p.m. on February 9. It was from this Taco Bell employee. Vallejo police responded to check on the welfare of the driver. When police arrived, they say the driver was unresponsive with a gun on his lap. The driver was Willie McCoy. Gun. Gun. Call it out. There's a gun in his lap. This is body camera footage from one of the six officers who surrounded Willie McCoy's car. And when you watch it, it's hard to see Willie because the officer's arm is stretched out with a gun in his hand pointing directly into the car. So it blocks your view. I'm going to bust that window. VPD released body camera footage from each of the six officers who were there. But it's the footage from the officer that's closest to the driver's side window that's the clearest and slowed down in the seconds before the shooting. But you still can't clearly see what's going on inside the car. You can tell Willie is starting to wake up. I can make out one part where it looks like he's scratching his arm. There's captioning at the bottom of the video that VPD added describing Willie's movements. Then a green arrow appears on the screen, pointing to the moment police say Willie McCoy reached with his left hand for a gun. Then within just a matter of seconds, police fire. 55 shots. We got the call for a little Willie. Me and Pops, he was sitting there. I was right here. And I was like, man, he was like, what was going on? I said, man, they killed Willie. He said they saying that they killed Willie. When David got this call, he and his dad picked up relatives in Oakland and Berkeley and headed for Vallejo. We get there, it's cold, it's drizzling, and we out there. We mugging with the police and they out there in force and they got their line and we got our line. But and to this point, we don't know whether it's Willie or One of the guys was in the car. David says Willie was the kind of guy who'd let anyone borrow his car if they needed it, especially family. But police weren't giving him much information. David said about eight officers were standing in a line in front of police tape, facing the family. We seen the police there. They were being very, very rude and, uh, you know, and insensitive to that we're the family and we're coming to see what's going on with our loved one. I couldn't confirm whether this actually happened or not. The police department hasn't agreed to a sit-down interview with me, and it's unlikely they'd answer questions specifically about this case. David's family is suing them. But anyway, David said an officer told the family he would only talk to one family member. One of Willie's brothers approached an officer. He said, well, who are you? He said, I'm his older brother. The only thing that he said, well, we can only tell you one thing, and that one thing that we could tell you is, is that we can't tell you anything. So we sat there until the tow truck came to pull the vehicle away. And when we seen all of the bullets, it was confirmed. Willie was gone. Art imitates life. I said, no, it ain't nobody that shot him. They said the police shot him. And I looked at and when he said that, I looked at my cousin. I said, cuz, they executed him.
There were six officers that pulled the trigger on Willie that night. At least two of them were involved in police shootings before. There was Ryan McMahon, who shot and killed an unarmed black man who was stopped for riding his bike without a light in 2018. Mark Thompson, who was involved in a police shooting in 2012. And the other four officers involved in Willie McCoy's shooting are Colin Eaton, Brian Glick, Jordan Patzer, and Anthony Romero Cano. The city says all officers have been deemed able to return to their regular duties. Tonight, family and friends of 21-year-old Willie McCoy are mourning after he was fatally shot by police while parked in the drive through line at this Taco Bell in Vallejo. I'm outraged. This community is outraged. He's, he's not robbing Taco Bell. He's in the For David, Willie's shooting is an example of the ways black men are reminded of their place in American society. Soon as you get close to being cracking the stratosphere for a little bit of success, there's somebody right there to put you back in your place. This is where you belong, boy. It's been six months since Willie McCoy's death, and David says he still has moments where he has to remind himself that Willie's gone. It's, it affected us all in different ways. Like, I mean, after it really initially hit me that, like, Willie was... You know that they that they actually killed Willie, right? Because uh, it was kind of like they I knew that they did, and I know that, but I'm not accepting it right now. But you know, days after it was just crying every day. I'd be riding to work in my truck, and then just all of a sudden, just tears rolling down, and just crying because Willie's not here. What David can believe is that this kind of thing would happen to a young black man in America. That ain't nothing new. That's nothing strange to me or to any of my family members. This happened. You know what I'm saying? It, and not just an isolated incident. It happens regularly. This is what police, these police do. And after the shooting, the family wanted answers. Why did police shoot Willie? What happened? The city made it clear to me that it wasn't likely the police department or city leaders would comment on a specific case because of lawsuits against the city related to these shootings. But I did find this video press release from three days after the shooting. Here's a piece of what they said. I'm Andrew Badu, the police chief. Standing next to me is Sergeant Jeff Ty. This is the first time we've linked a video to a press release. This is something new for us, but we're trying to get timely and accurate information out to our community. First and foremost, it's not lost on me or any member of our department that we're discussing a loss of life. Our condolences and prayers go out to the family of the deceased. The video went on to say that the officers didn't try to wake Willie up when they arrived on scene. They requested backup and came up with a plan. One officer would open the door while another grabbed the alleged handgun. But police say the doors were locked and the car was in drive. While they worked to block his car with two patrol cars, Willie started to wake up. The driver looked at the officers. The officers began to yell commands to include, keep your hands up, show me your hands. The driver suddenly reached down for the firearm. And at this point, six officers fired the duty weapons at the driver. David still wonders, can he really trust the police's narrative of what happened? For him, this shooting happened within the context of a country where African-American men are two and a half times more likely to be killed by police than white men. A country where African-Americans are incarcerated in state prisons at more than five times the rate of whites. The police narrative was that 
Willie had a gun on his lap and they feared for their lives and they and and he reached for the gun and so they had to initially shoot him. Okay. I can digest that, but after seeing the video, hey, look, there's no gun. The video David's talking about here, that's the police body camera footage that the department released nearly two months after the shooting. David doesn't believe Willie had a gun because he can't see one in any of the six body camera videos from Vallejo police. For David, it's important he see it there. I watched all the videos multiple times, all six angles, and I can't see a gun either. In the press release the department wrote, Vallejo police say a gun was recovered from the vehicle, but they don't say where exactly. Did they recover it from his lap? Was it in the glove compartment, the back seat? It's just unclear. Even though we don't believe he had a gun, but what if he did? So what? We watched the video. He was sleeping. We didn't see a gun. Did you see one? Why are we even entertaining that and not asking the hard questions to them? Why did you shoot 55 times into a car, a sleeping man? Now, police video alone can't confirm or show why police have shot someone, but it's really important evidence. And to David, it's the most substantial thing the police have released so far. It's what they've used to explain why they shot Willie, pointing to the exact movements Willie made that prompted them to shoot. But it's unsatisfying to David because it doesn't answer his question about the alleged gun. Let us have all of the raw footage, not your edited part that you edited to tell your version of things. David and his family have mounted a police accountability campaign to get answers, information, and change. But he's run into what other families have run into before. Unsatisfying answers and silence from Vallejo City Councilors when he's at City Hall. And you can hear his frustration in this meeting from June, when the city honored Vallejo Police Chief Andrew Badu, who was retiring, while David had been waiting for someone, anyone at the city, to acknowledge his loss and his pain. Me and my family have come to these meetings time and time again, and I know you're changing the, the way that you handle these meetings, Mayor. But uh, I don't think that it's really fair that some of the constituents that come here and they get congratulated on this side, you'll speak after that and say something. And uh, I was just waiting for one of you guys to say, hey, I seen what happened and it was horrible. We emailed and called all seven city councilors requesting interviews. One councilor got back saying she's unable to meet. The city attorney told me the city manager would be in touch. His name is Greg Nyoff. He didn't want to sit down for an in-person interview, but he responded to written questions I sent in emails. I told him, I've spoken with family members who were frustrated by what they feel is a lack of response from the city, a lack of empathy for their pain and their loss. And I asked, what was the city's message to the family? And here's what the city manager wrote back. Quote, I can only begin to imagine how difficult it is to lose a family member in this way. Unfortunately, the communications between family members and the city thus far have primarily been during public comment at council meetings, which is not the best venue for productive interactions on an emotionally laden topic such as this, unquote. Nyoff went on to say that the city has invited the federal DOJ to help initiate community meetings and that he hopes the families will come. 
families have told me they've asked for meetings with city leaders who they say can hold the police accountable. The city manager says he hasn't received any requests to meet. And even if he did, I think it's unlikely that would happen. Willie McCoy's family has filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against the city. And side note, you'll be hearing more from the city manager's emailed responses in the next episodes, which I should note, he said, should be considered answers from everyone I was seeking comment from at City Hall. David believes Willie was going to take the family to new heights. He was on a better path in life, and he says as soon as things were on the up and up, he was killed. To keep him going, though, David pulls from the strength of his ancestors. David and Willie and Willie's father are descendants of slavery and Jim Crow, Mississippi natives who joined the migration to Oakland and the Bay. For David, this shooting, the police's narrative, and the city's response, or lack thereof, is the same systemic racism his family escaped, manifesting itself in a different form. As long as we deal with the symptom instead of instead of dealing with the disease and curing it first. See, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want a a, a, a band aid for this shit. I want to fix for it. David wants to see officers prosecuted in Vallejo. He wants a clear message sent to other officers that there are consequences for killing people. Nationwide, though, that's rare. Rarely do officers face legal consequences for killing people on the job. But David is tired of seeing people of color gunned down by police. And there are others besides Willie, Ronald Foster, and Angel Ramos. He's fighting for them, too. Because other families have been putting up this fight for a police accountability in Vallejo before anyone recently started paying attention. Families who've gone through what David is just beginning to go through now. Next time on The Bay, we meet the sister of a young Latino man shot and killed in his mother's backyard in 2017, and we hear how going against a police officer's word is like moving mountains. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.